out there, you know, on the reef catching fish. You may got a fire going, and evidently there's a wrecked pirate ship. It's just a cool place, right? So if my faith is warm breezes and sunshine and blessing and prosperity. How many of you guys know scriptures are full of lots of scriptures and promises about that kind of life? On this, in, this, in this world, we can have a life that is prosperous and promised and blessed. And certainly there's scriptural promises that would validate that, such as this one, right? This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 39. And it talks about the hall of faith, those who live by faith. And look what they did. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel, the prophets, who through what? Through faith, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms. Where there was injustice, they administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, just like Matt Stafford did last Sunday. Man, they just they quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was actually turned into strength. They became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And even those who died, man, women received back their dead, raised to life again. How many of us know that's a great life of faith? Come on, somebody say amen. That's the beach, right? Like, that's where I want to live. I, that makes perfect sense to me. Nothing's going wrong. Where there is a battle, I'm kicking the devil's butt, and I'm taking names, and everything's great. But look at the very next verse. It says, and there were others. Everybody say others. Now, don't read. Just look at me. You're still reading. Look at me. I can't see you. I just know human nature. <laughs> there's a faith that moves mountains, and there's a faith that is not moved when the mountains land on top of them. And we've described the faith that moves mountains. But there's another kind of faith. There were others. And what happened to them? Well, they were tortured. They had the horrific experience of being tied against their will, being beaten by strangers who were laughing at their agony. Rods, um, whips, torn flesh, screams of pain, dislocated joints, losing consciousness only to be woken up again so they could beat you in unconsciousness again, covered in your own feces. I continue, refusing to be released, we're going to let you go. No, don't let me go. I'm as good as dead. I'd rather die a captive, for, a captive for Christ than a free person dying of disease 10 weeks from now. I just, let me stay. Some face jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. This one, they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of people like this. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Now, read this last sentence. These were all commended for their, yet none of them received the promise. There, there's a side to following Jesus that we have to talk about every once in a while. And usually it's about this quiet when we do. All the people that wrote the promises that we put on our refrigerators and bumper stickers, all the things that are the verse of the day in the Bible app, remember the people that wrote those great promises about exceedingly and abundantly and blessed coming in and blessed going out and ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. Everyone who wrote those verses, all of them were tortured. All of them, but one of the disciples, one committed suicide, that's Judas. Of the remaining 11, 10 of them died through execution, and one of them, John, was boiled in oil and died of old age, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. 
So remember this. The people that wrote about the blessings and Jesus and love and the Holy Spirit didn't just experience victory. They experienced tremendous tribulation. And in those tribulations, they didn't approach them just in agony. They approached them in an agonized trust and who God is no matter what the circumstances were around them. The picture that the Bible paints is not the first beach. It's this one. It's warfare. On that beach, you expect an enemy. On the other beach, you expect a sunburn. On that beach, you expect if you're captured, you're in big trouble. On that beach, there's warfare. There's lines. There's ammunition flying. There's strategy. There's, there's, there, there's um, plans that are being enacted. There's artillery. There's bombing. There's bullets. There's grenades. There's claymores. There's, you know... Bangalore mines, there's everything they can to kill each other. And the Bible describes persecution, tribulation, hardships, casualties, and a very real fight with the enemy, along with the promises of exceedingly and abundantly. Somebody say amen, right? Now, I'm not saying if you're not suffering, you're not in God's will. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. God is the God of both beaches. Try that again. I know it's just sobering, right? You're like, man, I could have gone to Denny's today and had a sunrise breakfast. And When tribulation comes in difficult times and long sickness or broken hearts or bankruptcies or loss of jobs or, you know, the neighbor's dog poops in your yard, whatever it is that gets under your skin or breaks your heart, hear me. You need to know that the evidence of evil does not negate the evidence of God. The evidence of evil confirms that you are in a war. The evidence of evil confirms that you're fighting against an enemy. It doesn't mean there is no God. It means you're in a real fight. And for us to understand the, 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 the warfare and the purpose of warfare in moments like that is crucial. So here's the question. What do we do when our life of faith is harder than we imagine it would be? It's harder than those around us. They're, they seem to be fine. Every time I look at Facebook, everybody's happier than me. Nobody ever Instagrammed to fight with their husband. What do we do when we feel like life isn't fair and God feels distant? Let me just show you an example of what people chose to do concerning their faith and, and their worship, by the way. Because again, worship's a weapon for us to win the wars that we're in. Being close to God and telling him who he is regardless of our circumstances opens a lot of prison doors. Look at this. It says this in Acts chapter 16. Once this is... Luke speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she made a lot of money fortune-telling for her owners. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, and she's shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days, and she was annoying. And Paul finally got so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, whoop, it's gone. Now when her owners realized she no longer can't tell the future, she doesn't even know what time it is, and their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. Interesting, just them. Remember, there's four of them. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. But they grabbed just Paul and Silas and they dragged them in the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews. The number one accusation against them was their race. These men. You know, Claudius, our emperor, warned us about people like this. These men are Jews. Well, well how do you guys know that Luke was a Greek physician, a Gentile, and, and Timothy was the son of a Greek 
Roman citizens. So they were left alone. The, accus- the chief accusation is not what they've done. The chief accusation is the color of their skin, the way they look, their nationality. These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city in an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us, Romans, us and them, to accept or practice. The crowd then joins in the attack against Paul, against Silas, and the magistrates ordered them, here it comes, wow, to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, no windows, no ventilation, laying in the filth of the last 20 guys that laid in that same spot. Their backs laid open, back of their head, soles of their feet, in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in stocks. Now, this is something we have to talk about. You guys okay still? I'm okay, but I've had a week to digest what I'm about to say to you. Were they in prison because they were out of God's will? Were they in prison because they were disobedient to God? Were they being punished for sin? Was this the righteousness of God being displayed in people's lives because they deserved the treatment they were getting? No, absolutely innocent, absolutely right, absolutely righteous, led by the Holy Spirit. Like Paul looks at Asia and goes, I'm going that way, the Holy Spirit. No, 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 you got a beating waiting for you in Philippi. Take it west, young man. We're going, we're going to Europe, not to Asia. And the gospel was preached in this way. They did a miracle. They were right. They were innocent. They were falsely accused. They were conspired against. They experienced racism. They were hated by a crowd, beaten with rods. They were tortured in prison. Let me ask you again. Then the ramp lowers, right, on that, that landing vehicle, and the machine guns start going off. So let me ask you again. What do you do when life is unfair? When it's agonizing, when it's disappointing, when it's confusing, and the God who sent you where you are now seems silent. This is what they did. Paul was a Pharisee, we know at least, and, and the Pharisees are required by the age 12 to have memorized the entire Bible from Genesis all the way through uh, the minor prophets. So the entirety of the Old Testament would have been committed to memory. And one of those verses that he memorizes in Psalm 119, it says this, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. What's this last verse? At midnight, I will rise and give you thanks for your righteous laws. My circumstances have changed, but your truth has not. I'm in pain, and you are my eternity. I'm going through hell, but you are my faithful God in heaven. I rise and give you thanks for your righteous laws. What did they do in Acts 16? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Guys, you got to hear me. How many guys know that sooner or later we're all going to suffer? But those who suffer in faith suffer differently than those who suffer in fear. Those who suffer trusting God suffer differently than those who have lost their trust in God. That ability to stand as a sacrifice, as a bleeding offering to Christ and say, though the Lord slay me, my trust is in you, not in Rome. My trust is in you, not that whip. My trust is in you, not my own feelings. I have made a decision. I have given myself to you, and I will not take back the gift of my life. Please listen to me. Please hear this. What do you do? What do you do when this happens? Number one is this. Write this down because you don't need it today. You're going to need it someday. The number one thing you do is you remember who he is. Remember the eternalness of God. Remember what he's done. Remember the faithfulness. Remember you're not alone. Remember he placed you in a body of believers. Remember there are others who've been through the exact same temptations and trials you're going through now, and God led them through it. Remember the the Hebrews 11. Yes, the first group of guys, but also the second group of guys. Remember remember that this isn't strange or new. You're not being punished. This This isn't a beach without Nazis on it. 
this beach has Nazis on it. This beach has demons on it. This beach has bullets on it. This beach has landmines on it. If you find yourself on a glorious beach, enjoy it. God is there. You find yourself in combat, remember God is there too. You remember who he is. And then you make a choice. You choose to trust him. Come on, say it with me. I choose. This is a choice. You don't have to. It's not like this automatic. Let me tell you something. Anytime God commands me to do something, it tells me something. It tells me that when it comes time to make that decision, it won't be natural. Love your neighbor. You know what that means? I'm going to have some bad neighbors. Right? God never commanded me to breathe. God never commanded me to eat dessert. There are certain things that will come naturally to me that God does not need to remind me or command me. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, there's a commandment. Remember your faithful God. Remember your faithful God. And then choose to trust him. And I, and I just, there is a difference, and we've got to talk about it for just a moment. Understanding and trusting are two completely different things. It's really nice when I understand, it helps me to trust. But there are times I don't understand, I just have to trust. And in those moments, it doesn't reveal anything about God. It reveals something about who I am and, and what I trust. When someone pulls up in front of me and it scares me and I'm ticked at them and I tell them they're number one, it, it tells me something about myself because as stimuli has come, I reached to my flesh and said, solve it. But if someone cuts in front of me in traffic and I just say, God bless you, you are number one, and I use this finger. Not the other ones, right? You choose. You choose. Everybody say choose. But it, it doesn't feel like, I, I know, that's why I have to make a choice. But there's, there doesn't seem to be any certain, I know. But the evidence says, I know, but where was God? Why didn't God? Why does God always? Why did God never? I know. But faith is not what we use to get what we want from God. Faith is what we use often when we don't get what we want from God. And we refuse to let go of the hand who holds us for eternity. I'm yours. The choice is made. Second thing we do is we choose to make our life what Paul calls a living sacrifice. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but a sacrifice is not putting a dollar in a bucket. A sacrifice is a living thing that becomes a dead thing. It, it, sometimes it was a bird, sometimes it was a lamb, sometimes it was sheep, sometimes it was an oxen or a cow, you know what I mean? Things that had great value were being uh, sacrificed as an offering to the Lord. Understand this. There's a sacrifice that's given and it's gone. There's a sacrifice that's given and given and given and given and given and given. Even though it's dying, it's given and given and given and given. Do you want to know what faith looks like? Go to children's church. You'll learn about faith. And you'll learn about one part of faith. The impossible is possible in that room. You want to learn about another part of faith? Go to the nursing home. And watch people live for Christ, though their legs have been cut off. Love Jesus, although their spouse has been dead for 40 years. Be faithful in, in worship and in prayer and in fidelity to God. I, I, you, I went one time to see a, a lady named Elaine, and she was about to have her legs amputated. They were the size of her waist. They were both rotten, and the smell was awful. She had gangrene. There was no other choice, and they'd waited way too long, and this is it. They're going to be amputated, and ulcers all over, just, just bandages and stink. It was just like a leper colony, kind of a, you walk down the hallway, you smelled Elaine about two doors before you got to her door, and I walked in and sat down, sweetie, how are you? I'm, I'm doing good, Pastor Jim. I said, are you, you ready for tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. And she was so ready for tomorrow. I wondered, do you know that you're going to have your legs cut off tomorrow? She said, well, do you know what's waiting for you tomorrow? Yeah, they're going to come get me at this time, and then they're going to do this, and I'll go to sleep, and I'll wake up, and, and I, w- I won't have these diseased legs anymore. And I said, well, sweetie, I mean, how do you feel about this? She goes, and this is what she said, Pastor Jim, I don't need these legs to dance for Jesus. 
I still got my hands. I still got my voice. I still got my heart. I can see him. I can hear him. She's saying this. I'm crying because I'm realizing I don't even think I'm saved. <laughs> you know? Like, man, I, I, someone pulled in front of me in traffic today and I lost my salvation. He's about to lose her legs and she loves Jesus. I'm just telling you something, guys. I am grateful for the good days, but when we choose to make our life a sacrifice, how many guys know that the devil can't kill a dead man? Once we've chosen to be dead, there's nothing. I had somebody one time, was, they were threatening them. I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. You know his response was to the guy that was threatening him? He says, you can't threaten me with heaven, buddy. That's where I want to go. And I thought, I just kind of stood back like, that, he said that. I didn't say that. I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not even married yet, man. I got a lot of mistakes to make. I don't, I want to, I want to, I want my wife to teach me how to be a man. Like, I don't want to go yet, right? And then, and then this one, you choose to glorify him by trusting him no matter what. Band, come and join me. I mean, we just got to worship the Lord this morning. And last we worshiped, they're like, God, you're so good. You're so good. And that's wonderful. But there were those who were kind of like, those words of that song are almost painful to me because I'm wrestling with the goodness. I'm, I'm wrestling with my experiences. I'm wrestling with the pain, right? We would do well to remember, though, that Paul's theology of, of eternity and this life included a lot of pain. Romans 12, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, view God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living what? Not, a, not an offering, a sacrifice, something expected to die, something expected to bleed, something expecting to be attacked by something they didn't expect. A living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper what? There's this last part of Paul's life, and I've been in the cell where he wrote it, so it's especially pointed to me. Kim, Judy, you've been there, right? That, that hole in the ground in, in Rome. The uh, Colosseum's quarter mile that way. The Capitol's a quarter mile that way. There's a building that you'd never guess has anything important, and there's a little sign that talks about the prison cell that was once used for the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. And as you go, there's, there, without being told, like, hey, be quiet, be reverent, everybody walks in there like kind of a, like this is where it happened. And they built a staircase now made out of stone that goes down. So you can actually, there's, there's railing. You can't walk around and touch stuff, but there's like, you can sit down there in the darkness of that cell that's now lit with artificial electric lights, not a little, you know, oil lamp like he would have had if that. And you sit in that, that hole. And then Paul writes these words. He says this. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. How many of you guys know that a drink offering has a beginning and an end? And, and it's, it's, it rushes out at first, and then it's a little bit less, and then there's just kind of that. He said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Let me ask you, is Paul talking about living? What's he talking about? He's talking about dying. And then he uses this phrase, and I we would do well to memorize this phrase. He says this, at the end of his life, at the end of his time here on earth, at the end of his ministry, in this hole, he takes a feather pen and he dips it into um, ink. He comes back to the parchment on which he's writing and he writes these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It still, it still messes me up. I remember reading 2 Timothy from there and other things that were written from there, just sitting in that. I, I'm, I'm so done, and I finished. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. Was I discouraged? Yeah. 
I was shipwrecked three times. I got beaten by rods, you know, three times. I received the, the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews four times. I'm a walking pile of scar tissue. They threw rocks at me trying to kill me until I was buried under rocks. They assumed I was dead. And then they came and prayed for me, and I woke up under a pile of rocks and walked back into the same city that just tried to kill me to tell them again that Jesus loves them. My life has been filled with so much pain. I've seen so much destitution. I've seen so much, you know, evil. And I, and I, but I, I have done it. Like, I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I, I didn't let a circumstance or a diagnosis or a lawyer or an accountant or a government tell me. I, I, I always, I never, never, never quit holding on to that hand, even when they were beating me, even when I was sick, even when I was tired, even when I, Paul says, I despaired of life. I don't want to die, but I'm so tired of living. He said, I never gave up. I never let go of that hand. And he compares it to running and fighting. He said, well, what, what, what is faith? and a boxing match and a distance race have in common. Anybody know? The only way to win a race is not to be the fastest. It's not the fastest that wins a race. It's the one that can tolerate the most pain for the most time. What is boxing? If you get hit in the face, you go, out, done. Well, you're not going to win the fight. So how does a boxer win? Yeah, he throws punches, but you know what else he does? He gets hit in the stomach, in the head. If it's an honest guy, that's the end of it. If it's not, you get your ear bit off, you get hit below the belt, but you don't quit in spite of not the time that it takes, not the money that it takes, not the effort that it takes, but the pain that you endure to win a boxing match, to win a marathon. And then he says, boxing, man, it's hard, it hurts. Running, man, it's exhausting, man, it's painful. Faith, man, it's hard, man, it hurts. Man, I wanted to quit a thousand times. But I held on to the hand that was holding on to me, and I refused to let go. And now in this cell, I'm celebrating. In this hole, I am celebrating that in just a few minutes, my head will be cut off, but my heart will be with Jesus. And I want you to know this, because this is hard to understand because we have such a focus on this life and it's so hard even in a day-to-day way just to kind of remember that this is a, a vapor that comes and goes and there's an eternity that's waiting on the other side of this. Does that make sense? But I want you to hear this. Listen to me. Matter of fact, do this. Let the youth in and everybody stand to your feet, please. Everybody stand to your feet. Let the youth, the young people are waiting to come in and they just kind of wait at the back there, Pastor Carl. But I want them to hear this. I want young people to hear this. I want old people to hear this. I want people that are older than me, if you can still hear, to hear this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, says something that all of us need to remember. When, when I was hungry yesterday, my wife said, what do you want for dinner? And I've been eating good because my cholesterol's high, and I, I, did, I made the mistake of getting a physical. But don't worry, after I got my physical results, I got on the internet. So I died three weeks ago, and no one told you, evidently, according to my labs. But last night, I thought, you know, God created feasts and fasts. There's holidays and holy days and, and solemn days. And yesterday was a cheeseburger day. So I, I didn't get fries. I, I just, I got a, a lean cheeseburger and some collard greens. There's probably more fat in the collard greens than there was in the cheeseburger. Went to Beale Street. Man, they just do it upright, you know. This sermon brought to you by Beale Street, literally. If I hadn't had that cheeseburger yesterday, I'd be like, I don't know, just go to Devon, you know. But it, I, when I ate that cheeseburger, I was no longer hungry. I was satisfied got tired last night. It was late, probably 8.30, you know. 
I said, let's go to bed early tonight. She goes, what time is it? I said, 8.30. Like, oh my gosh. I'm trying to stay away until 8.30. But we had, a, we had a long, hard funerals and other stuff this last few days. No day off for a couple weeks now. And, and there was that, that moment where I, I went to sleep. And then this morning when I woke up, you know what I felt? I felt like I had a good night's sleep. It was satisfied. There are things that God created for us that satisfy the needs in us. Can I say something else, though? You weren't created to die. Like, death wasn't a part of, you were created to live eternally in a physical body. And then sin came, and God was pretty clear. Like, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the body, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, Jesus, resurrection, eternal life, we get that. But, but what's funny is when someone dies, there's not this moment you go, well, where's the cheeseburger? I was sad, but I'm not sad anymore because I had a, well, where's my nap? My, my soul is grieving right now. I'm mourning. But, but there's that thing that when I'm tired, I can take a nap and I'm okay. I, when I'm hungry at a cheeseburger, I'm okay. But now I'm here and I'm sad. I'm mourning a loss and there's nothing that can make this okay. That makes sense? And then you come to Revelations chapter 21, verse 4, and it says this, and you need to hear this. I don't know what my last thought, I don't know what your last thought, I'm not sure what our last thought will be in this life. I don't know what it is. But I know this. If there's any unresolved pain, if there's any unanswered questions, if there's any tears that have not yet been dried, hear me. Young people in the back, hear me. If we end this life confused and frightened and angry and hurt and we, we want questions and there's no answers and I don't get it and where was God? Like, like understand this, that, that my last thought, I don't know, but I do know what my next thought will be. When I've drawn my last breath, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says this, and he, God himself, will wipe every tear from my eyes. And the being more morning. There'll be no more crying or death or sickness or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And behold, he who seated on the throne said, I'm making all things new. So there is a cheeseburger. It's just not in this life. There is a nap. It's just not in this life. There is an answer. There, there, there is a solution. There is a, um, you know, there is comfort that is eternal and lasting. It's just not in this life. I, I want to tell you something. Young people hear me. This is in heaven. It's not the blue beach sometimes. Sometimes it is. And God's the God of the blue beach, but God's also the God of Omaha Beach. And whatever season you're in right now, I want you to know something. The best thing you can do when you're struggling to believe is to worship. The best thing you can do when you're struggling to hold on is to worship. The best thing you can do is to take your life and to do something with it as as you would with a dollar and an offering plate. I want to do this this morning. I want every eye right here, every heart right here, Every year, right here, this area right here, you know what we call this? I mean, you know what we call this first area? It's called the, the altar. Why do they call it that? It's a place where people go to meet with God, and God goes to meet with people. It's symbolic. It's Old Testament language, but it is. It's an altar, and this is what we do. We expect that, that just as there's places for things in the church, in the sacred world, if you will, what this is here for is this. This is not a place where you put a dollar in. That, that's an offering. That's wonderful. This is a place where sacrifices are made. Not, not where you come to die, but where you come to tell the Lord that he now owns your life. This is a place where people come and say, God, no matter what, no matter where, no matter who, no matter when, no matter the cost, no matter, my life is a living sacrifice. This is an offering plate, but not for dollars. It's for people. It's for stories. 
When you walk to this altar to worship the Lord to that, listen, there are people that came to this altar, they flooded them last week. I felt bad for the youth. They want to go to the altars and worship. It's full of old people in their 20s. But I, I want to start, everybody can worship the altar today. I'm not saying that, but hear me. The first people I'm calling to this altar is this. Those who've really been through it are going through it right now. But you're making a decision. And that decision is, no matter what happens, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No matter what happens, no matter who lives, no matter who dies, no matter what the lawyer says, the doctor says, the candlestick maker says, the government says, the news says, I have made a choice that who I am belongs to who he is forever. And that could be starting here. That could be a reaffirmation of there. But this is an offering plate for people who are willing to give everything to Jesus. It's a wonderful place to stand and worship. Absolutely. But for a few moments, can we make it something more than that? Is that okay? Can we make it not just that? Can we make it a place for people to go and they walk down? I walked down that aisle this morning. I don't know how many times during prayer. I just kept walking down saying, God, somebody's going to walk down these aisles today. And for the first time, I'm going to say, though you slay me, God, I'm going to trust you. Though it doesn't work out, I'm going to trust you. Though it doesn't, ha- I prayed and prayed and prayed, but it doesn't happen the way that I prayed. I'm going to trust you. 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 That people who, who are enjoying the presence of God can become a living sacrifice for his glory. So if you're here today, I'm going to ask you just everybody, close your eyes, bow your heads. Maybe in this life there won't be answers, but I promise you, you'll feel a hand upon your face if you'll trust him to the end. Maybe, maybe there's no cheeseburger to comfort the pain of your loss, and I'm so sorry. I I don't mean to minimize that. I I don't mean to say cheer up or dance it away or worship will make you feel better. I don't mean that. There's just something that you can do when you're in pain. There's an access that you have to God when you're struggling that you don't have at other times. I know it feels like the opposite sometimes, but it's not true. He's as close as the mention of his name at all times. If you're here today and you're like, God, the struggles of my faith have not been to believe you're good, it's to believe you're good to me. It's been so hard, it's been so painful, it's been so long. I think of friends that got diagnoses years ago and they prayed how many tens of thousands of times for healing and they're still waiting for that miracle. But you are God. The marriage was fine. Everything was good. Then one day the spouse came home and said, nope, nope. Kids were great. We raised them in the admission of the Lord. Everything was good. Then one day, man, they met that friend. They started dating that girl or ran off with that guy, and they broke our hearts. And we don't think they're ever going to come back. Though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. 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 Today is not a day just to say thank you for all you've done. It's just to say thank you no matter what. You are God. You are God. You are God. Though my enemies tie me with ropes, I will rise up in the middle of the night and I will praise the name of the Lord my God for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I would ask for those of you that are here today like, yeah, Jim, I need to... I don't need to stand and sing somewhere. I need to stand in an offering plate and give my life who I am, all that I am, these moments of my life. I'm not saying you, you're not a believer. I'm saying you are a believer, and that's why you want to give your, your, the rest of your tomorrows and an understanding that God is good, and you'll trust him no matter what. You don't understand, but you trust. A peace that can pass understanding is yours. In a moment, I'm going to open these altars for you. There may be one. There may be half the room. Only God knows. But if God's been dealing with you during this message, I, I just, I believe this. God is so good and he wants, he wants nothing more than just to love you right now. You're so hurt, but he's your comforter. You can't run from him. You've got to run to him. And if you're here today and you're like, yep, 
I'm going to put my life in the offering plate. I'm before God today. I'm a living sacrifice for the rest of my life. If that's you, then would you come to this altar right now? Come on, step out from where you are. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but if they're in your way, just say, excuse me, I need to get down to that altar right now. I need to come to that altar and make myself a living offering, a living sacrifice. Today's the day I shift from this thought of, you know, I, I can worship God when it's good, but I can't worship God when it's not. That has to change, amen? That has to change. I'm going to worship God in every season. I'm going to hold on to the hand that's holding on to me, and I won't let it go. I won't let it go. I won't let it go. God, by walking down to this altar this morning, I'm telling you, I won't let it go. I won't let it go. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. Jacob wrestled with an angel. He said, I won't let you go. I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. His theology was deeper than his pain. His understanding of who you were was deeper than the agony of a dislocated hip. He, he sat there and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled because I will not let you go. I will not let go of heaven. I've been going through so much hell. I will not let go of heaven. Father, today I pray as we worship you. I pray for a fresh wind. Come on, join me now, church. A fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. A fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. A fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. More than the solutions to our problems, we need to know the one who has the solution to our problems. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Send him now, Father. And wave after wave in this room now, we pray. Wave after wave. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.